Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system, and it's easy to swap from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, and that's gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Carlos Mialauskas just returned from riding his Yamaha Tenere into the coldest inhabited place on earth in the winter. Through temperatures so cold that shutting down the bike isn't even an option. Coming up, I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate the flat tire in less than three minutes, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. Best Rest is also the North American distributor for Googletech filters. Their website, www.cyclepump.com. www.cyclepump.com. Sam Manning. Ryan Phil. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Pat Jace. Robert Schwartz. Nathan Millwall. Linda Postley. Tiffany Coach. Sterling Noreen. Brad Johnson. Thank you. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free www.maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. If you search for it on TripAdvisor, you will find an entry for Omicron Russia. And probably the only reason it shows up is because it's often referred to as the coldest inhabited place on earth. An interesting claim to fame, but nonetheless, it places Omicron in the sights for those looking for extremes. And the number of those adventurous people, the ones that are looking to experience the extremes, that's on the rise. Omiakon is located in Russia's northeast, deep in the Siberian wilderness, close to the Arctic Circle, which means, obviously, unbelievably cold winters. Give you an idea, the average high in January is minus 42 degrees Celsius, or minus 44.5 degrees Fahrenheit. Average low, minus 50 Celsius and minus 58 Fahrenheit. Um, on February 6th of 1933, uh, a temperature of minus 67.7 degrees Celsius, 89.9 Fahrenheit minus, was recorded. In the town, they've got a monument commemorating a low of minus 71.2. Now, I think for most of us, we don't have any kind of reference at all for what this cold feels like, but it's really cold. It's so cold that the locals, they don't shut off. No, they can't shut off their cars unless they're stored inside because if they do, in 20 minutes, they're not going to get them started again. Not till spring. It's that cold. 
the local residents, which make up, uh, I think, less than 900 and the number's dropping, they only cancel school if the temperatures drop below minus 55 degrees Celsius or minus 67 Fahrenheit. The ground is permanently frozen. They grow no vegetables. And because of its northern latitude of around 63 degrees, it has some very long, dark days, up to 21 hours of total darkness. Now, this remote settlement of Omiakon is almost 1,000 kilometers or 600 miles from Yakutsk. Yakutsk is also very cold. However, obviously not as cold as Omiakon. But it's a city of over 280,000, and it's the jump-off point for those seeking to experience the coldest inhabited place on Earth. So, you're probably asking, what does the coldest place in the winter on Earth have to do with riding motorcycles today on this show? Well, not much until this guy. Oh yeah, my name is Karol Smielauskas. I live in uh, Eastern Lithuania, Eastern uh, Europe. Karolis has been developing a kind of an extreme adventure meditation thing for some time. Yeah, yeah, the self-exploration. Sort of a, a yoga-based um, spiritual thing. I mean, he does a lot of extremes so that he can clear his mind. I, I think many people would refer to him as an explorer. Yeah, people like to call me explorer. And um, on daily life, I do give uh, inspirational talks. And uh, yeah, I like to, to, to dream about something uh, maybe less possible and uh, sometimes to make it happen. <laughs> and some of those other extremes are like riding his motorcycle across a frozen lake in the wintertime by himself with no support. In this case, he decides to ride to the coldest place in or the coldest uninhabited place on Earth. Omicron um, from Yakutsk in the middle of winter, though, in February, which is darn close to the, the coldest part of the winter there, just sort of one month off. Yeah. Carlos, do you always look for just different things or is it something about the cold that you like? Uh, no, it's, uh, uh, to be honest, I don't look for any things. Yeah, I like to explore that's why uh, um, uh, I say myself I'm explorer, but uh, mainly is uh, I'm exploring the self. Uh, myself and this is uh, the exploration number one happens and uh, sometimes I just put myself into the some say tough situations um, uh, for even deeper explorations so it happens so that uh, uh, very often it happens with a motorcycle um, but um, uh, but this is only a tool yeah so uh, well, it might maybe sound selfish but I say uh, first we have to explore ourselves and all the rest eyes will see anyway. So cold, cold it came to me and uh, hopefully will not repeat again. Well, obviously we want to talk about your latest adventure that you call The Coldest Ride. But to give us an idea of where you're coming from, what sort of adventures have you done up till now before this trip? Uh, I'm sorry, um, mm, for how how to prepare you you ask me or, no or? what what other sort of things have you done coming up to this like what other sort of um self exploratory adventures have you done okay so in terms of um i i could split a little bit then uh, once would be uh, uh, um, a motorcycling yes yeah. uh, this type of motorcycling and others would be other travel so i had several pilgrimages in in um, in india i had some uh, himalayan treks uh, and and things like that i i like to walk in the mountains we don't have them here so we need to travel somewhere and uh, yeah 
Then we come back to the motorcycle, and uh, motorcycling usually I do alone. This type of, uh, say, uh, meditational motorcycling or yeah, self-exploring motorcycling. So uh, it was, uh, um, yeah, uh, I like 1,000 kilometers a day play, yes. So on 600cc motorcycle, um, 1,000 a day is something really not too comfortable but it gives extremely good um, uh, practice possibility because you have to sit like for 12, sometimes 15 hours a day and just ride, yeah? And um, uh, exploring this way, I once had a, uh, say, a longer trip about, so it took from Vilnius to Vladivostok, which is uh, uh, to the sea of Japan, very far east of um, uh, Russia. And it was 11,000 kilometers in 12 days, a couple of days of rest. I had a ride uh, across the frozen lake of Baikal, which is the deepest lake in the world. So, uh, um, yeah, on it, one week uh, ride on the ice uh, alone, uh, nearly 800 kilometers with uh, no camping gear, with uh, no support and, uh, yeah, even no satellite phone at the moment. So um, it was last last couple of years, right? So, so what comes first? The the cold, the motorcycle, the explorer, or, or the motivational speaker? Nah, first is an exploration of the self, always. So uh, we, uh, we can, or I do it, uh, you know, by solid sitting in the morning. But basically, on every step is uh, very interesting to see where what comes from. So this is what I call the self-exploration. And then the next, yeah, and uh, of course, travels is something very interesting in terms of a scenery. But some uh, some tougher travels, as in my situation, gives uh, altogether. It's it's deep meditation is is what we're talking exactly. about, isn't it? Deep meditation. Yes, so absolutely. so does deep meditation when you do it, when you sit in those extreme moments and you and you um, persevere, I guess, through those extreme moments to come to some sort of clarity. Does that change your life outside of that moment? Absolutely. In that situation, changes a change uh, of life happens immediately, and afterwards, as a result, also. So. Um, if if to take that very moment, yeah. So uh, maybe if you sit a couple hours with closed eyes, you can you can see that every everything inside of you wants to stand up and go and to quit all that process. So if you can still sit, is is already a big result. And if uh, to take uh, say uh, uh, the moment of, from my rights, then uh, normally to drive in minus fifty Celsius. Um, yeah, I mean, all the gadgets around, including own mind, gives a, gives a notice that please stop is impossible, is is too cold and too dangerous and too whatever. And if I can still do with no result of frostbite or something, uh, then this is, is a big winning. Yeah. What's different about you now? from before you started to think this way, maybe the, t- the 10 years ago, before you started doing this, before you started exploring um, your mind, really. What's different about you? What's changed in your life? Yeah, if to take it very practically, uh, when I say uh, it appears a space uh, 
between uh, between reaction and this is something very important we do so many things automatically that we react automatically to anything that's happening around what to answer very fast how to react fast and this is how mind uh, wishes us to do so uh, space between reaction uh, makes a lot because during that space uh, uh, there is a moment where you can make from uh, from internal feeling more from than from the mind and maybe uh, uh, you know shouting less maybe uh, moving slowly um, maybe um, yeah spending time more just enjoying that I can see not really enjoying what I see and um, yeah miracle is all around and uh, you don't need even to drive or to go or to fly somewhere too far away to live and enjoy right now and right here. And and uh, we say meditation practice gives exactly this, this uh, possibility. And this is very, very practical. Where did the motorcycle come into your life? Is it, did it come in for this type of thing or were you already a rider? Uh, no, I was, I was, yeah, and uh, I got a scooter from my parents, like, in, uh, I don't know what was, maybe I was 12 or 14, something, um, then I was riding for maybe five years or so, then uh, um, something more interesting in, in that age appeared, then um, kids appeared in my life, and again, the motorcycle, so I had maybe uh, 10 of them or something in, in, in my life, but uh, yes, I had a period of time when I was doing, you know, uh, kind of cross-country things and uh, motorcycling in the woods and um, some enduro rallies happened also. But um, yeah, I saw that I have either to go to the uh, uh, sport seriously, either probably quit. And then I quit for several years and uh, came back to traveling and uh, traveling mainly solo due to this reason. Well, let's talk about the coldest ride. What is the coldest ride and, and why did you come up with it? So um, uh, why is something to what I couldn't avoid. Yeah, I was like uh, this thought came to me first uh, one and a half year ago. And uh, I was like, okay, maybe it's not mine. Yeah, But um, then step by step uh, it returned and um, okay, I started to to look around what's what's what could be related. I, actually, I was uh, I was uh, trying to avoid it as long as possible, and I would I, I really said uh, um, I'll not do it if it will be possible not to do. So anyway, um, by the end of the summer, uh, I, I I realized that um, yeah I, I will do it anyway. So better I start to prepare well. So what is the coldest ride then? Uh, the coldest ride itself uh, was uh, a ride uh, in uh, Siberia, Yakutia region, um, and uh, it took a start in Yakutsk. Yakutsk is, uh, uh, they used to say that is uh, the coldest major city on Earth. Um, Google may say some other cities exist with the same cold, uh, but uh, Oymikon, which is a village 1,000 kilometers from Yakutsk, is the coldest inhabited place on Earth. So in around 60s, uh, they 
recorded 71.2 degrees below zero in uh, Celsius. So I said, okay, I will make this ride from Yakutsk to Oymikon to the coldest inhabited place. That's why I call it uh, the coldest ride. Okay, so you, you've planned a, a thousand kilometer trip that you're going to ride to the coldest inhabited place on Earth. You're going to be riding a motorcycle. What, what's the objective here? What, what is the purpose? So, uh, um, purpose as itself, I say the same, is a self-explore in a tough situation. And you can imagine what the tough situation is. I was planning like at the starting point, which will be uh, minus 40 below uh, Celsius and and uh, to down minus 60 on the finish line. So beside uh, the uh, road, road of bones and uh, mountainous areas and partly unfrozen rivers, uh, no more obstacles. <laughs> to attract even uh, the commercial sponsors that you did for the trip. I know you had a backup team, et cetera. Um, they had, you had to tell them there was something else other than just, you know, exploring your own mind. I mean, I think most sponsors would say, oh, no, I don't want any part of that. Why does a sponsor want in on this? Uh, okay. Uh, first of all, I say I know I'm using the word sponsor um, myself, but this is not true. No one was sponsoring me. Actually, it was a marketing activity. Yes. So, if, if I wear uh, brand X, uh, it means that brand receives an, an, you know position in the newspaper, on a video, and so on. So this is not really a sponsorship on the end. This is a marketing exchange, yeah? This is a service so, so to service. So they gave product rather than cash? Uh, someone gave me cash, uh, and they received a logo position. Someone gave me a product. And I was using that product. So I can confirm one thing that all all the brands and products I had on me, I'm using myself and is is really good. So I didn't lie to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but the fact is that who gave me cash or who gave me product, they were interested in the readers or listeners or viewers um, uh, uh, of my content, which I will create during the ride. So, yeah, that's the reality, uh, is not sponsorship. So, uh, but uh, of course, uh, they, first of all, they believed in me that um, Carlos will go and he's that crazy, mad, or interesting, or whatever, that he will do this. And uh, they wanted to be a part of the, you know, we call this tribe. Nobody did it before. So, yeah, of course, it was attraction for them to have, you know, name brand position in, in, in a situation like this. Yeah, maybe I will register it as a record. So then it's even more interesting. Yeah, people just wanted to be part of the history in this situation. Normally, situations like this gives uh, media attention and this uh, media attention is for every business interesting. We're going to take a quick one-minute break to thank a couple of sponsors to help bring this episode to you. But stick around when we come back. We're going to talk gear and a lot more. Well, I've got a little challenge for you. Here's the website I want you to go to, www.overlandexpo.com. Click on the West link right there on the main page. You're going to see May 17 to 19, 2019 in Flagstaff, Arizona is Overland Expo West. This thing is huge. Now, my, my challenge was going to be to you, I was going to say, go to that 
look at the classes, the slideshows, the demonstration, the activities, the lessons that you can take at that event, and then tell me it's not something you want to go to. You have to go. It's the overlanding event of the year, um, and that's in Flagstaff, Arizona, May 17 to 19. They've got the uh, Motorcycle Expedition Skills Area that was redesigned in 2018, headed up by Dragoo Adventure Training, Adventure Rider Training, rather. You've got hands-on training pavilions, classrooms, demo areas. They've even got a kids' adventure area, but they've got roundtable panels that they put on, a, a film festival. I mean, there's so much going on there. Check it out, www.overlandexpo.com. And anytime you're talking with them, you get your tickets. By the way, you got to buy your tickets online. Don't forget to do that. Buy them now. Get them now before they sell out. Uh, and there's ones that are specific for motorcycling there. And by the way, when you're dealing with them, I was saying, um, mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. I don't know of many hard parts that you can really beat and have them still perform like the day you got them. IMS foot pegs are one of those hard parts. And I'm talking from experience. If I wasn't impressed, I wouldn't be telling you this. Now, let's face it. They're not only the, almost indestructible in my experience. Well, in my experience, they have been indestructible. Um, but they're designed to do what they're supposed to do. And that's give you an ultimate connection with your bike. That's what they do for me for better control. They shed the mud like they were designed to do. And unlike many pegs out there, they're designed in such a way that when the pegs, when the platform gets bigger, when they've manufactured it bigger, the angle is still correct with your brake and more importantly, your shifter. That's correct. That's super important. On top of all that, they're warranted for life and they're made in the USA. Triple W imsproducts.com have a look at what they've got everything from their adv pegs right on down to their rally pegs they've got a size peg that will suit your riding style and your bike and of course anytime you're dealing with them let them know you heard them here on adventure rider radio imsproducts.com But what sort of things do you have to overcome on this ride? I mean, clearly cold's a big issue. What else? Cold. <laughs> That's it. Cold, uh, there's no other logistics yeah, like mean, as far as the roads, etc. Um, but but there's nothing comparing to cold. So uh, of course, uh, I mean, uh, I had to brought uh, to bring a motorcycle to prepare a motorcycle. Uh, to find a team and to make all these deals with all these uh, businesses. It didn't happen in a second, you know. So I really uh, was uh, working uh, hard as never before since uh, since uh, uh, August. Uh, I was only on this for 12, sometimes 15 hours a day. And um, I gave completely all of myself, you know, all my power to it. So it wasn't easy. Um, but uh, but feasible, and um, this all brought the results. So if we take, for instance, uh, logistics, I have sent my bike from from um, uh, Lithuania by uh, airplane. This is not normally uh, normal situation in in this part of the world. And uh, if we take uh, their logistics, I had to have a, uh, a support car, and one car was not enough because in that car was. Uh, people who were making pictures and videos and uh, writing in articles. Uh, we were posting and sharing to the uh, some media channels here uh, daily, and um, it was quite a task. Uh, technician went, uh, went together because I couldn't afford if my bike will break completely, so um, because I have attention already. So it made the situation. Yeah, then I had the. 
uh, another small car together. If a bike, uh, uh, we will not have a chance to keep uh, during the night somewhere in a warm place. So I can put the uh, bike into the car so we have it warm. Why? Because in those temperatures, if you stop the engine in 20 minutes, uh, that's it. You will never start it again. I mean, in spring only. So uh, uh, it makes kind of, you know, um, yeah, um, situation where many, many things to, has to be done. For instance, motorcycle, uh, even I say it's uh, more or less standard one, uh, had around 40 modifications. So uh, we had to figure out which was uh, which ones to make and what and and uh, uh, many of them were like homemade, you know. <laughs> what, what sort of things? I mean, I know you did some things to, to, for instance, shrouding the engine to keep the engine warm. What what sort of things? The big things did you have to do? Uh, we and even those, you know, to keep the engine uh, warm, uh, some kind of plastics. I don't know with some insulation, say covers were done. So. Uh, yeah, some special molds has to be done, and I didn't have that big finances, you know, to to go around the world and look for who can make this. So it was locally done, but still, uh, well, then to choose, uh, uh, you know, oils, what kind of and which will work well. Then bearings, for instance, bearings in the wheels uh, were used from aviation sector. So basically, we use those in the aircrafts. So mm, this was to to, to avoid, you know, when a bearing can stuck. And um, what else? Heated grips and, and mitts and uh, uh, temperature, what you call a device, yeah, uh, extra, extra thermometer. When, as far as personal gear goes, what did you have for personal gear? Your, your clothing, what are you wearing? Um, I had a deal with um, uh, Ruka and Sinisalo, which is uh, uh, two brands uh, from one Finnish company. And um, it was six, sometimes seven layers of, uh, of clothes on me. And um, if to take a very beginning is, uh, you know, merino wool, yeah, which is simple and then uh, some wind protection, so on. But then I had also to wear something uh, which is for motorcycle, yeah? So uh, uh, motorcycling protections, yeah? So knee protections and shoulder protections and finger back and all, all these things on. And then uh, top suit, uh, a top layer, uh, which was combo and basically was produced by the company called Sinisalo in Finland for the Finnish border protection. So, um, yeah, border protection uh, uh, offices uh, were using it and still using nowadays. Um, well, on a, on a border protection in the woods, you know, and the um, factory received the order um, to produce a suit where can a military person stay uh, without moves in minus 30 Celsius for eight hours. So I thought like, okay, if if they produced that someone can stay still for in minus 30, eight hours, maybe it can work also for me. Yeah. So yeah, this was the story of the of the those um, gear on me. I also had uh, uh, blazewear clothing uh, from England. 
a jacket which was electrically heated and I was uh, using it uh, on for two days from my ride. And uh, gloves, gloves was uh, also from uh, Ruka, uh, say motorcycling or, or snowmobiling gloves and uh, a helmet, a helmet was a modular helmet uh, from snow for snow, snowmobiling with uh, electrically heated uh, visor. It doesn't give uh, warm, but it uh, protects visor from from freezing. Mm, I can certainly handle that sometimes for some of my rides, even here, not in quite cold like that, but still it's cold. Um, did 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 anything fail you? Did did you have any equipment that just didn't cut it, and you thought, well, if I ever did that again, I would never use it? Uh, no, not really. Uh, we knew some wires will break down in those temperatures. And uh, we, in the beginning, changed part of the t- uh, wires on, on motorcycle, but then um, tried to isolate them as, as much as possible from the moves, you know. So it shouldn't break down when, when uh, you don't move those tires, so, uh, uh, wires. So we, we tried to, to put in the situation where wires doesn't move too much, but it's still was breaking down a little bit and into just you know why it just breaks in part and then uh, then you have to change it and this maybe not is a it's not a big too big deal but when you have to do it in minus 40 minus 50 celsius outside so sometimes it takes like a hour sometimes it was one and a half hour to 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 repair it and um yeah, fingers gets gets frozen and yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, but uh, but we managed. I had one puncture of the tire. Basically, it was not really punctured. Uh, somehow condensation, some water appeared inside the tire and between tire and tube, and uh, tube broke down. Exactly, it just broke down, and uh, we had to change it. So, in terms of motorcycle problems, was uh, like this, but it was planned. We knew it it, it was going to happen, and, and it happened. And um, okay, we managed. How many people did you have on the team? G- give a rundown, sort of the people and the vehicles involved here. Uh, we, it was two vehicles. It was uh, four of my team who came together, and uh, it was three local. I call them fixers, local fixers, yes. So uh, basically two drivers and their own mechanic because when we use those Russian cars, they are old and um, rebuilt and so on. Is uh, 2,000 kilometers for them is uh, impossible without breakage and, and those cars were breaking down and uh, they have to repair it and, and so on. So they were three of them. So altogether we were eight people. So eight people including you? Yes. Right. Um, is, is it remote or are you going into places to stay? Uh, we were staying um, uh, every night somewhere in, in the house except one night. One night we were staying in a tent because we were not able to reach the, yeah, say, village or something like that. But normally uh, we had a plan to reach the place where, where at least some houses are around. And um, this is important for our own comfort. Plus... It is extremely important for the for the cars because if car is not staying in a warm garage, uh, it has to stay uh, with the engine switch on, which is not too big deal. But uh, uh, then every hour, hour and a half, 
you have to go and move your car a little bit, drive back and forward. Otherwise, uh, all the, uh, you know, uh, components get stuck and in the morning it doesn't drive. So, um, yeah, this is something common there. And uh, uh, we, we had a plan to have a garage every night and we managed except one. And um, the same the same with the, with the bed. So we had roof every night, not shower, but roof uh, with some some heaters inside we had, except one night where we spent in the tent. And actually it was uh, fun. We, we arrived and uh, they built a tent for us in the middle of nowhere in Taiga in the mountains. And it was minus 48 that night or um, Celsius. And... Um, we didn't have sleeping bags with us, but uh, our fixes provided. This was uh, an agreement with them. But the funny thing was that sleeping bags were uh, summer type. So really, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, they made a joke. I said, you came guys here for the to, to experience cold. So this night you will really experience it. And we experienced. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but all those stars, uh, you know, during the night outside and the mountains um, was uh, much more bigger experience. And uh, in the morning, uh, morning, uh, what you call toilet situation uh, also gave uh, extra experience for everyone. <laughs> but nature is nature. Uh, we had fun. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you've got a whole group of people there, really. You're eight people and ending up at homes. That all has to be arranged in advance. That was through your fixtures. You you, you paid them sort of to, to, to map out the route and figure out how far they're going to cover and what houses they're going to stay at? Yes, yes. I mean, um, yeah, it was part of the deal. I, I flew down to Yakutsk uh, nearly a year ago and I found uh, locals who can who can help me with this. And um, I knew otherwise I will have to go alone and maybe it's a little bit too dangerous. And uh, then I realized uh, that all this will cost some money. And uh, then uh, then um, if I need support from business, then I have to give them back uh, the, the, yeah, what you call a content. And all this needs extra and extra people. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah. This was all related uh, basically to finances. So those locals, do they do that for a living? Uh, what makes them qualified to do it? Mm, uh, makes them probably... <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, probably a starting point for them is that one of them uh, is speaking English. So this is not very often in that part of the world. And uh, so it, it gives him a chance to, to receive someone from, from uh, other countries. And uh, secondly, uh, yeah, he has a car and he thinks he knows something about the cold. <laughs> so <laughs> to, put, to put it like this, but basically, uh, yeah, people are coming a uh, little by little. People are coming in last 10 years in uh, Oymikon, they registered nearly 1,500 tourists. So, uh, I mean, 100 plus people per year comes there. Uh, as to visit the coldest inhabited place, you know. So this is something where people want to experience the cold. So they they, they help them. They help people to to experience that. You, know? you cannot reach it by own car, you know. And even now, probably uh, these guys who help me, uh, they drive maybe oh, I don't know three or four times uh, a winter. 
So usually they have like five people inside the car, yeah. So during uh, my go, uh, another car of them had two Japanese. It was a couple from from Japan who wanted to to see the coldest inhabited place. With your team that was with you, did you work out something in advance? Did you have a protocol where they're checking you to make sure that you're not getting hypothermic or or frostbite? Or was there some sort of, was there a medic with you? No, 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 no medic. And actually, um, we were trying to make it like this. In the morning when I start, we make some pictures. Then in the, in about one hour drive, usually uh, uh, nature was calling me to stop for yeah, what you call for a pee. And this is a bit of the uh, um, a process because uh, uh, to make this, I have to open the helmet. And when I open the helmet, then in 15 seconds, I have a piece of ice on my lips and nose uh, from the uh, moistured uh, uh, balaclava. Yeah? And what happens when, when I cannot continue go? So I need to remove the helmet, uh, remove balaclava and to change it. And during that process, uh, immediate freeze of the hands comes um, and then immediate uh, call to the head comes. And then this is kind of, you know, process a little bit. And then um, uh, I used that moment that they make uh, extra pictures. So it's already part of the media situation is done and uh, in the morning and then I just go and I uh, most of the trip I was riding alone we just met in, on the finish line so usually in the evening time um, before sun is going down except a couple evenings where I had to ride also in the dark um, I was arriving to the finish and then I'm turning around and going back to meet them um, because uh, to stand was too cold so I was moving all the time. So um, trying to save it, most of the time I was riding alone. It was no one who can check me. And uh, I didn't want to be checked by someone. I really could understand and I wanted to research myself. And uh, yeah, and uh, I could say to myself that uh, is enough and is enough. So I didn't uh, eat and I didn't allow actually too much to, to my team to eat during the day. I mean, they, they, they had the chance to eat in the car, but I said, please, let's not stop and not let's not make any lunch breaks. If I can survive without eating during the day, you can too. And um, I was just uh, driving. To be absolutely straight, I didn't drink. Uh, I was drinking in the morning and in the evening, but during the ride, I didn't. So uh, trying to avoid too many stops. So you're riding the whole day straight then? Yes. So I, still I was stopping, of course, but uh, trying to make it as less as possible. Uh, and uh, and um, yeah, maybe this would not work for like a couple of weeks, you know, but for five days I knew uh, I will survive, will survive like this because to, to, a must to drink is serious. But uh, uh, to stay with the two cold hands or, or, you know, because it takes time later to, to make hands warm again. So it was easier not to just drink and uh, drink in the evening and that's it. Mm -hmm. So um, pace was extremely important for me. I found that pace was uh, much, much more important than, than, the, race, than the rest. 
So that's why I was driving alone. Sometimes if those Russian cars, they, they had no chances to catch me, you know, on a bike. In the mountains, I drive like uh, 80 or 100 kilometers per hour and uh, on, the, on the completely ice-packed road. Um, it's impossible for Russian men to, to, to catch me. How did the team handle it? Did they have, a, a, I mean, you mentioned the car is breaking down, but did they have problems dealing with the cold? Um, they probably had problems with their own minds, yeah. But, uh, you know, because if, if it, it was the situation when the car breaks down and uh, the driver says, I had to switch off the engine to, to fix some oil stuff, I don't know exactly, was it uh, oil pump or something like that? Uh, and, uh, and he stops the engine and says, listen, guys, now we have 20 minutes to fix. Otherwise, it will not be possible to start the car again. So then, uh, then it was his own experiences, how to deal with the kind of fear, you know. And you weren't there for that. You kept riding. Oh, I didn't see all that. They were just telling me, you know, so. Um, it, and it was, it was more a situation, very icy roads in, you know, this is the, what we call the road of bones. And why is the road of bones? Because, because uh, during the Soviet time, uh, they were bringing people to that remote area, even from here, from Lithuania. And those people were building that road and dying and putting the bodies in, in the same, basically the road of bones because it builds, it is built on, on, the, on the bones. And um, this makes, when you know history, this makes a little bit of, you know, um, say, mood situation. And uh, also probably energy-wise, you can feel it also. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's something to experience for anyone who is on that road. And um, plus, plus a cold, plus uh, not too comfortable car, plus, uh, you know, um, sometimes you can see trucks and other cars uh, in, in, on, on the down of the road or how you call it in the, up in the mountains, which somebody didn't manage to turn right well. And, and then went down from the huge, uh, mountain and yeah. So, I mean, enough, enough situations to understand that all this is, uh, kind of risky and, um, they still have to make a job, you know, to, to make footage, to film, to, to make pictures. So. Then uh, they knew exactly that when we will arrive Oymikon, which is, uh, will be extremely cold. And uh, uh, we arrived and wake up next morning and it was minus 52. Yeah. The bike you rode was a Yamaha Tenere uh, 660XT. XT. Why that bike? Uh, it's my daily bike. Uh, it's the only I have. <laughs> so, but, is it 2008 is, or something? Yes, yes. Yeah, 2008. Yes, uh, yeah, all these, uh, I say, uh, crazy trips were done on this bike and uh, it's a reliable bike, it's a perfect bike. So um, I didn't uh, really like, was thinking, uh, should I have another one for that? Why? Why? This is my bike. So that's why. Simple. So we've talked about, you know, your ride being a meditative uh, um, experience that you do. Um, wh why, though, like, was was this extreme portion, this extreme trip you've done, the coldest ride, is that more coming from you as an explorer or looking for a deeper fix into meditation? Uh, they are so related, these two things, what you just said. It's, it's so uh, self-explore. And meditation is something what comes together. Meditation is sometimes, uh, uh, you know, 
a name which which makes us um, uh, thinking about uh, you know yeah what what to say uh, uh, name of the process but normally uh, there is no process to explore the self yeah well well why not why not just do the thousand kilometer ride that you've done before where you said you could you like to ride a thousand kilometers in the in the day in the cold why not just do that and just keep doing that if you're just looking to meditate like what is it that takes it from that to this more grand trip where you have to get fixers and sponsors and and all of that what what's the purpose of the jump uh, um, I don't know. And uh, sometimes in life uh, we think like we have to know everything. But I think one of the very good um, winnings in the life is when we realize we cannot know everything. Yes. So I, I in some situations I say I'm, I'm legally okay not to know exactly why. Maybe something karmic, you know. Somebody has to climb Everest. Somebody has to, to, to swim where, somewhere far away, maybe to sail around the world. So someone has, has to uh, work very, very hard in the factory all life and never start explore the self. So this is something karmic, maybe. And um, it's okay not to know that. And um, But the more exploration goes, the more is okay. What I can really say uh, what I how I see this is the as a stream as a, as a spring stream uh, which cannot be avoided and then I just follow this and I hope this is enough yeah so in those karmic words say hopefully karma is burned now and I will not to go these big steps further with the, with the you know next kind of challenge Otherwise, maybe I need to reach Mars, which I don't want. Yeah. Well, that is an interesting and very different ride. Carlos Mielowskis from his home in Lithuania. The website, thecoldestride.com. The link is in our show notes, along with a bunch of photographs from his adventure. you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, 
enjoyed this episode of Adventure Rider Radio as much as we did making it. We really appreciate you being a part of it and listening. Thank you very much. If you like what we're doing, you want to help out, we would love to have your help and we need it, quite frankly. Drop by the website www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. Thanks very much to Elizabeth Martin, our producer. And my name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. See you next week. Johnson from African Overlanders and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 